Welcome to the Peavine Podcast, where each week we bring you the message from our Sunday morning worship service with Pastor Joel Sutherland, so that we can help you apply biblical truth to your daily life. You can always join us in person each Sunday at 8.30 a.m. and 11 here on our beautiful campus in Rock Spring, Georgia. Today. Hey, I started a sermon series a few weeks ago entitled Glue, Making Your Family Stick. Because here's what we know, that uh, sometimes it can feel like your family's falling apart. It can feel like your marriage or your children or your finances or your communication, whatever it may be, you feel like that is falling apart. And we use this phrase, we say, our family is coming unglued. But there is hope for that. There's a solution for that. There is glue to glue it back together. And the glue is the word of God. And so what I've been doing in this sermon series is something different than normal. I'm normally an expository preacher, which means I I take a passage of scripture and I expose it. But what I'm doing now is what's called topical preaching. And I'm trying to just be as rubber meets the road as I possibly can. Practical tips from the word of God, observations from 25 years of pastoring research and just some good old fashioned common sense. Because not everybody got a good dose of that when they were born, right? Amen. Like don't, don't look right or left, just look this way. But not, not everybody got as much as what we would hope they would get. So I want to preach on this subject today, how to pray for your family. Because I'm going to tell you, when it comes to uh, gluing your family back together, let me say without reservation that prayer is the primary glue that will glue your family back together. There are going to be times you don't know what to do. There are going to be times you do know what to do. It still needs to be bathed in prayer. So today on Mother's Day, I want to talk about prayer. Today's the hardest day. If you're a guy, today is the hardest day of the year. Why? Because nobody helps us pick out presents today. We kind of got to do it on our own. You know, and so uh, like at Christmas time, my wife spends months shopping for Christmas and she's put so much work into shopping for Christmas. And when we're spread out and our kids are opening their presents, my kids are like, oh, mama, thank you so much. Oh, mama, thank you so much. Daddy, do you want to see what you got us? Because I don't know, man, they're girls. It's makeup and rouge and lipstick and mask. I don't know what all that stuff is. Uh, but uh, So she does all the work. But on Mother's Day, you have to do it. And guys are not great at gift giving. As a matter of fact, there was a company did a research project and wanted to determine what were the worst Mother's Day gifts ever given. They came up with the top 30 list uh, that women said was the worst Mother's Day gift ever given. Now, I'm not giving you all 30, but we're going to start at the kind of number 27, and we're going to count down from number 27. But I'm, not gonna, I'm only showing you about 10, not all 30, but I thought I'd show you some of the important ones. Number 27, a can of beans. Now, to be honest, I don't know if it were, were, were pinto, red kidney, I, I don't know, but a can of beans. I hope you did better than that. Number 20, an ironing board cover. Now, gentlemen, if you're ironing board, you wouldn't know probably, but if it is worn out, buy a new cover. Not on Mother's Day, right? Number 18, calculate. Somebody went to Family Dollar. And uh, number 17, this one, toilet paper. 
I can't figure this one out unless I refer you back to number 27. If you remember what that one was. <laughs> Maybe it's the same guy. I don't know. <laughs> number 14. Hair dye. We need to have a conversation right here, okay? <laughs> like, you may have noticed some things. Like, you may have... You, you, you may have... It, it's none of your business. <laughs> Number 12. I like this guy, clothesline. He didn't even go for dryer. Like, not even high tech. You outside, baby. Now, now the next few kind of go together, and I'm a little confused by them, but I think I figured it out. Number eight, a bottle of salad dressing. I don't know, but there's another clue. Number six, a stick of French bread. Now, hold on. Number two... A fire extinguisher. <laughs> now I've put all that together and I have a, a good hypothesis. Some guy wanted spaghetti and salad and bread for dinner and his wife couldn't cook, so he bought her the pieces she was missing, but he knows what kind of cook she is. <laughs> number one. What do you think number one is? Anybody know? Don't say it if you were in the early service. Anybody know? You didn't guess it. Deodorant. <laughs> I hope you did better than that, right? I hope you did better than that. When I, when I think about, if, if you were to talk to your, your mom, or I, I think about what gift you could give your family, mothers, what gift you could give your family, what gift you could give your mothers, what, what, here's something I want to suggest today. What we could all give to one another is that word I have on the screen, the word prayer. See, prayer is not supposed to be a superfluous activity that, that you get around to when you have time. Prayer is an essential part of the Christian life. Prayer is a vital part of your walk with God. Prayer is a, is a central part of the Christian experience. And let me take it even a step further because prayer is an essential part of your family life. Can I just be honest with you? Your family needs prayer. And I want to say to you, if you're a mom here today or you're a wife, can I say that you need to be praying for yourself? You need to be praying for your husband. You need to be praying for your children. But if you're here today and you're a dad, dad, you need to be praying for yourself and you need to be praying for your wife and you need to be praying for your children. If you're here today and you're a teenager, but we're all, we're all children of some parent, you need to be praying for yourself, your family, your parents. If you're a grandparent, I often have grandparents like, well, preacher, I'm too old to serve God. You're not. You can still have a ministry of prayer for your children, your grandchildren and get this, even other people's children. If you're here today and you're single, you can pray for yourself, your family, and your future family. The time to start praying for your family is before you even have one. And listen, I love it that you're filling out the survey. Thank you to the scores of people. If you don't know, we have a survey on our app. And if you just download Pevon City, you, you, there's a survey on there. And, and, and I have three questions. If you could go back and tell your uh, newly graduated from high school self one thing, what would you tell yourself? I'm going to talk about some of those things next week. If you could tell your new parent self one thing, what would you tell yourself? If you could tell your new uh, married self one thing, what would you tell yourself? And here's a phrase that kept coming up over and over. Get this. Here's the phrase, pray more. Pray more. 
You are not going to get to the end of your life and wish you had prayed less. You are not going to be at the end on death's bed and say, I I spent too much time in prayer. There's no way. Because I want to be honest with you. Here's the type of praying we're doing. Too often we are engaged in our family life only in reactionary prayers. That is... I've seen it so much in ministry. My marriage is falling apart. I need to pray. My kids are going wild. I need to pray. The doctor gave us bad news. I need to pray. And we get into trouble or we get sick or something starts coming unglued. And all of a sudden, everybody wants to pray. And there are reactionary prayers. We are reacting to bad circumstances in our lives. But get this. The Christian life, especially prayer for your family, is not supposed to be reactionary prayers. Can we call them this? Precautionary prayers. That you need to be praying for your marriage while it's good. You need to be praying for your kids while they're obedient. You need to be praying for your health while you have it. Those are precautionary prayers and too often we don't pray for our families because we're just in the reactionary mode of praying when things fall apart. But can I tell you, it's easier to pray before things fall apart. So let me do this today. I want to encourage you. These notes are going to be online at pvine.org slash glue. This sermon and the notes that I, you'll see on this screen will be online uh, sometime this week. But I want you to take notes. We're going to do something at the end. So I, I'd encourage everybody to pull out a piece of paper or something, a scribble on, lipstick, mascara, pencil, something, and, and write something down. I want to teach you how to pray for your family. And this is just going to be a simple sermon. I'll let you go uh, on time today. And I want to just get some thoughts in your mind on how to pray for your family. So number one, let's talk about this, why we pray. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 12 says this, we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, against evil spirits in the heavenly places. I think sometimes we wonder if we ought to pray. Does prayer make a difference? We, we recently had a politician, I won't tell you her name, but her initials are AOC, who recently said, basically, keep your thoughts and prayers to yourself. What good are they doing? We live in a day, and I'm afraid sometimes even in our families, we, we wonder, do our prayers mean anything? Why should we pray? Well, I want to give you very quickly just a few reasons why you need to pray. Number one is this. If you aren't praying for your family, who is? This dawned on me years and years ago when my kids were uh, first born, and I said, chances are, If I'm not praying for my children, then probably no one is. I couldn't stand the thoughts of my children going unprayed for, or my wife going unprayed for, or or my family going unprayed for. And listen, when when you start a family, when you're in a family, there ought to be a burden of prayer upon your heart. There ought to be a responsibility of prayer upon your heart that that you feel like that if nobody else is praying for your family, then you're going to take up the mantle. Now, I know my wife prays, but it was my responsibility. She knows I pray, but it's her responsibility. That if no, if I'm going to approach it this way, that if no one's praying for them who is, and there could be a good chance that in your home, that if you aren't doing the praying, that no one is. If you're not praying for your marriage, if you aren't praying for your kids, if you aren't praying for your parents, if you aren't praying for your grandkids, it could be 
There are no prayers being said. So why do I pray? Because I could be the only one and a burden of prayer and the responsibility of prayer falls to you. Secondly, the reason we pray for our families is because the enemy is on the attack. Make no mistake about it. The spiritual forces of darkness would love to ruin your family. It would love to destroy your family. They want to rob your family of its peace, of its joy, of its happiness, of its love, of its commitment to one another. The enemy is on the attack. The enemy wants to ruin your marriage. And you say, well, preacher, my marriage is great. But listen to me. The enemy has a plan to destroy your marriage. The enemy wants to ruin and enslave your kids into sin. So my kids are great. I, I know it. I get it. They are. They're fantastic. But you have to understand the forces of hell have a plan to enslave them in sin. He wants to destroy your future. He wants your family arguing, fighting, negativity, discord, mistrust, and jealousy. Have I said enough? Just when I say that, we feel the need to pray. You have to pray. Prayer is spiritual warfare, and prayer activates heaven against the forces of hell to push back the darkness. Prayer is on the attack. Number three, the reason I pray is God can see what you cannot. See, you don't know what's around the corner in your life, but God does. Things may be great now, but it's normally too late to pray when you have to pray. See, when when things fall apart, we're usually praying for things that we wish would not happen that have already happened. And the time to pray is before that. You say, preacher, I have my family fairly prepared. I'm sure you do, but you cannot prepare for what you do not know is around the corner. Number four, why I pray is I want the favor of God on my family. Now, prayers are personal act. I know that. I'm not filling this sermon with a bunch of personal stories the way I normally might do, but I'll tell you this. For years and years, I have prayed the favor of God on my family. About the year 2000, a book came out called The Prayer of Jabez. Anybody ever read The Prayer of Jabez in the room? You you probably read it. We have the tendency in the Christian life to read it and move on to the next thing. But I read The Prayer of Jabez, and it stuck with me, and I couldn't get it out of my mind. And shortly after that, I put it on a prayer list, and I've prayed it. And if you've not picked up the book, you probably have to buy it used now. But it's a fantastic book. And here's what it's based on is uh, 1 Chronicles 4.10. And Jabez called on the Lord God of Israel saying, I love this, oh, that you would bless me indeed, that you would enlarge my territory, that your hand would be with me, that you would keep me from evil, that I might not cause pain. So God granted him what he requested. There's four parts to that. That you would bless me, enlarge my territory, you would be with me, and you'd keep me from sin or from evil so I wouldn't hurt anything. And so that, that prayer kind of stuck in my in my mind, in my heart, and I couldn't get rid of it. And so it's been a part of my prayer life that I have literally prayed and begged God for his favor and blessing on my life. Now listen, I'm a Baptist, but I nearly go about halfway Pentecostal when I pray this prayer. You say, you ask God to favor you? Yeah. What are you going to do? Ask him to curse you? Like I I want the favor of God, but I get radical with it. I'm like, I'm like, God, I want your, I want you to favor me. I want you to bless my family. I want your favor upon my family. Lord, I want you to favor my family just because they're in my family and you're blessing me and my family is getting residual blessing because you're blessing me. God, I I pray this prayer. It's probably too much information. I say, God, I want to be the golden child of heaven. I want angels saying, Lord, why are you so good to him? And I want you to say back because he won't quit praying that prayer. 
Enlarge my territory. Your hand would be with me. I spend a lot of time on you'd keep me from evil. Lord, don't let me fall into sin because that's going to hurt my family. It's going to mess up my family. It's going to cause pain to my family. Don't let me fall into sin. And then I claim it. And I said, Lord, I don't know Jabez, but you, asked, you, you answered it for him. God granted him. And so, Lord, I'm asking you to answer that for me. I want the favor. I pray for my family because I want the favor of God on my family. And so the second thing I'll walk us through today, and that's when to pray for your family. The Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, pray without ceasing. Now I want to tell you, when you get, uh, when you're a family, when you're young, that is a great prayer to play, pray. When your kids start growing, that's a great pray, pray without ceasing. great advice. When they become teenagers, it takes on uh, more real uh, life. And when they get a car, now you know what this verse means, Right? You pray without ceasing, and you check their location without ceasing. You do both those things all the time. It's a good idea to be in continual prayer for your husband, for your wife, for your kids, for your parents, on and on. But let me give you four ways of when to pray. Number one, pray over meals. We've lost the practice and discipline of praying over meals. Whether you're at a home or where you're at a, at a restaurant, I, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, preacher, here you are talking about prayer. I'm so busy. When do you expect me to work prayer into my life? You eat, don't you? Pray when you eat. Now listen, I, I, I don't think you ought to, don't get caught up on your prayer life at the dinner table. You know what I'm saying? The rest of us are hungry. <laughs> I was, uh, before I met Sherry, I, I had a, this little girl I dated and, and we were young is, is before I met Sherry and I wound up at her house on Thanksgiving. I, I grew up in a strict uh, uh, Christian home, uh, independent Baptist, and she came from a strict Christian home, and they didn't really appreciate the fact that I think uh, I was maybe 16 and she was 15. They didn't really appreciate the fact that um, she had brought a date to her house on Thanksgiving Day, and I was a little nervous about it too. We weren't real serious, but somehow I wound up there on Thanksgiving Day, and so she had a big family. They were all very religious, and her papa prayed before Thanksgiving dinner. And I want to tell you, he thought, since I was there, he's just going to let me have it in prayer. And he prayed, and he prayed, and he prayed. By the time he finished his prayer, I was on the run, and the, and the, and the, the, uh, the dressing had already molded by the time the prayer was over. I mean, it went on and on and on and on and on. That's not what we're talking about. But it's a good family moment to stop and pray over meals, to rotate through the family, family when you pray. Number two, pray over decisions and crises in your life. Man, when we have a family decision, we make it a family prayer need. I don't know that I've ever made a major decision in life that I've not involved my whole family in that, that time of prayer. When there's a crisis, we stop and pray right then. And my, my, I didn't know this for years. My wife had done this for years with our two girls. But when, when an ambulance would drive by, they would stop and pray for the people who were in the ambulance. I found it out the hard way. I had the girls in my car. I didn't know they did it. Had the girls in my car. Ambulance drove by. And uh, the girls were like, Daddy, you going to lead us in prayer? I'm like, why would I do that? <laughs> they said, oh, well, every time an ambulance goes by, Mommy has us pray for the people in the ambulance that they'll be okay. Well, now I feel about that big. And I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah. I told Mommy to do that. And so uh, <laughs> let's, um, let's pray. Let's pray, girls. Good idea. Pray through times of decisions and crisis. Number, number three, pray in your daily quiet time. I think it's important for you to have a family on a list and 
pray for their needs on a regular basis and make sure that every day of the week there are certain things I pray for my wife and my kids. And then on Mondays, there's, every day of the week I pray certain prayers. Then on Monday, there's a set of things. And on Tuesday, there's a set of things. On Wednesday, on down the line. And make sure you're spending time with the Lord every day yourself. And then, and then number four, pray at night before bed when they're young. Can I, can I tell you this? Let me just tell you the honest truth. I'm a preacher and I want to be as transparent as I can be. When they get to be teenagers, for us, this was almost impossible to do. Almost impossible. Because we had one at a gym and a ball game at one place, another one in a gym and a ball game at another place. There were four of us going to bed at four different times, getting in at four different times. It was, so here's what we did. When they became teenagers and we kind of got in that mode, we would say to them, hey, girls, we trust you. We'd buy them devotion books and Bibles, and we'd say, we trust you. You should be walking with God on your own right now. So we're, we're giving you this stuff, and you should be walking with God on your own. But when they were little, some of the sweetest moments of my life was when Sherry would take our little kids and go up to the bedroom. Savannah had a water bed. You remember water beds? Y'all remember those? We'd sit those kids on that water bed and watch them go back and forth like that. Ours was not emotionless. It was four full ocean hurricane motion going on in this bed. And it was going around. It was fun. And Shay would get those two girls down by the bed and they would sing songs. They would read books and they'd read the Bible and they'd pray and she made it fun. It's such great memories. It's going to be harder to do that as the older they get, so take advantage of that while they're young. Then number three, and I'm finished. What do I pray for my family? Philippians 4, 6, be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. In everything. Now, I can't preach everything, but let me give you some ideas. And I'll just be honest with you. These, these are from Scripture, these are, but literally, these are lifted straight out of my, my prayer life. Let me give you some nine different ways to pray. Number one is this, pray for their spiritual needs. Since before my kids were born, I prayed for them to know Jesus as Savior. Since before my kids were born, I prayed for them to know God. Even now that they're adults, both know Christ as their Savior, I still pray, Lord, make my kids certain in their salvation. I, that is the most important question. I want to tell you, if you're here today and you do not know Jesus as the Lord and Savior of your life, listen, that is the most important thing for you can do for your family is know for sure that when you die, because you're going to, that Christ is in your life and heaven is your home. I pray for my kids to follow Christ. Hey, get this, I pray for my kids, I still to this day pray for my kids to love the church. I pray for my whole family to love the church. I want them worshiping God. I, I, I want them to love worshiping God. I want them to love the music of the church. I want them to love the mission of the church. I want them to love the message of the church. I want them to love it all. And I've prayed forever. Lord, don't. I'm a preacher, man. Kids can get bitter when they're in a preacher's household. Don't let it happen to my kids. Let them fall in love with the thing you died for, the church. I pray for my kids to walk with God. I pray for my kids to serve God. Number one, pray for their spiritual needs. Number two, pray for their future needs. I pray for my wife and her future every day. When my kids were little, I prayed for who they would date, and I prayed hard for who they would date. Hard. If a boy made it through my prayers, I want him to be slightly bruised on the other side. A little bit afraid. I prayed for their future spouse, who they would marry. 
I prayed for life decisions. I prayed for what college they'd go to, what career they have, what job they have. Can I tell you something? When you start praying for the future of your family, you'll see Bible verses and you'll notice some things that you need to even train your kids in because you're praying for their future. Number three, pray for their daily needs. That's part of the Lord's prayer. Hey, can, can I tell you this? You go back to pray for their future needs. Heard about this story, this elderly couple. They've been married for 60 years, but you know, you kind of think if you make it to 60 years, you're going to get along really, really well. And they didn't. They were at each other's throats. And they argued all, got up in a fight, went to bed in a fight, and fought all day long. And, but they kind of got older in age, and their kids had to put them in a retirement home. And the kids put them in the retirement home, and they thought, well, they'll be around other people, and they'll tone it down a little bit. And they didn't tone it down at all. They, I mean, it was near fist fights, blows, yelling and screaming. The retirement home had had enough of it. And the retirement home came to them and said, we've never told a couple who've been married 60 years of this before, but if you do don't stop it, we're going to kick you out of the retirement home. So one night before they went to bed, the wife looked at the husband. And she said, Joe, I, I don't think we're ever going to get along. I don't think canceling the help at our age. I just think we need to pray a prayer, and this is radical, but we need to pray it. I just think we need to pray one of us dies. <laughs> she said, let's just pray one of us dies, and after the funeral, I'll go live with my sister. <laughs> That's praying for future needs, right? All right. All right. Uh, number three, pray for their daily needs, life necessities, sleep. I pray my kids sleep well, don't have nightmares. Uh, listen, we often don't pray for these things until they're gone, but I want to pray precautionary, not reactionary. Number four, pray for their specific needs. I keep a list for every single family member. I pray for them. I, they never know what's on my list. And I used to do all of my, my prayer time in a, like a moleskin book, and the, or I used index cards. I, I've done so many things. And used to, I would write down answered prayers. But about 10 years ago, I switched to Evernote, or I don't exactly, it's almost 10, I don't remember how long ago it was, but it was about 10 years ago, I switched to Evernote. And so when God would answer a prayer, I'd delete it and type something else in. It dawned on me just about a year ago, quit deleting answered prayers because I like keeping a record. And so I asked for specific things, and now I just strike through it when God answers the prayer. Why? Because every one of my kids, my, every, both my son-in-laws, both my kids, my wife, they all have specific needs that I ask God for. Now, number five, I pray for my kids' character. For their honesty, their integrity, their purity, their holiness. That is still a daily prayer I pray. You still need character when you're adult. Number six, pray for your spouse's or your children's career success. Their job, their work, what they do. Number seven, pray through their roles in life. Let me explain to you what I mean. My, my wife, Sherry, she's a mother. And I pray God help her to be an awesome mother, and she is. I say, she's my wife. God help her to be a great wife. No, Lord, I mean it. A really, really good wife. Like, let her pamper me and treat me well and love on. Like, God, let her, let her be infatuated. No, I don't do all that every day. But I do. I, I, she is, by the way. She is, by the way. And, and, and I, I pray for me to be a good husband and father. I pray for me and my children uh, to, for, through their roles in life. I pray that uh, for them that they'll be a good employee wherever they work I pray that they'll be a good Christian that's another role and that leads me into number eight I pray through your own roles in life 
Every day when I pray, I say, God, I'm a child of God. Help me to act like a child of God today. Let me represent your name well. Let me to be a good Christian. Help me walk with you in the word. Help me to walk with you in prayer. Help me to walk with you in witness and several other things. I pray those every day. Lord, help me to be a good child of God. I pray every day. Lord, help me to be a good husband. Help me to be a good father. Now I've added PJ to the list. Help me to be a good PJ. I pray, help me be a good pastor. Help me be a good employee. Help me be a good friend. Help me be a good son. Help me to be a good provider. Whatever my roles are, I pray them. And then finally, number nine, I'm finished. Say prayers of thanksgiving together. As a family, and the verse said it, Philippians 4, 6, with thanksgiving. When God answers family prayers, we've tried to always stop and thank God for answering a prayer. We, we pray before we go on vacation or before we take a trip. We pray, God, give us safety as we travel. Help us stay in your will. Uh, bring us back home so we can serve you. We, we pray that prayer. When we pull back up in the driveway, yesterday we had to go to a nephew's college graduation about three hours away. As we were pulling back into our subdivision, I just impromptuly prayed, hey, Lord, thank you for safe travel, for taking us there and bringing us back. We appreciate that. We love you in Jesus' name. Why do you do that? Because we want to be people of thanksgiving. That's what to pray. Can I say this? There is no bad way to pray for your family. Josh, come get a song together. We're not suffering from praying wrongly. We're suffering from not praying. How many of you ever heard of John and Charles Wesley? Can I, can I see your hand? You've heard of, uh-oh. John and Charles Wesley. Let me see your hand. I heard John. So this is a representation, this is a painting of their mother, Susanna Wesley. Susanna Wesley was the, you got to hang with me here, you'll miss this. She was the 25th of 25 children. Yeah. 25th of 25 children. She grew up in, the, in a preacher's home, a well-educated preacher's home, and when she was 19, she married Samuel Wesley, Wesley 1688, an Anglican minister. She was 19 years old. She had 19 kids herself. Nine died in childbirth, and one was smothered by a nurse accidentally shortly after birth. But, uh, uh, excuse me, eight died in childbirth, one was smothered. So that left her with 10 living children. History tells us that her husband Samuel was a preacher, but he wasn't a good one. That's hard to hear, right? But he spent 39 years in a church and basically did not do well at all. As a matter of fact, Samuel was not even good with money, and he spent months in debtor's prison uh, while he was trying to raise his family. And uh, part of the parsonage that he owned was on a small farm. He, he was not the outdoor type. He didn't like to get his hands dirty, apparently. And so Susanna and the 10 kids, they had to run the farm. She self-taught her children. She even taught her girls how to read, which was unheard of in the late 1600s. She had... Uh, a list of chores for them to do. Matter of fact, let me tell you, Samuel, Samuel spent almost his entire life writing a treatise on an exegetical treatise on the book of Job about the suffering of Job. Meanwhile, his family was suffering themselves while he was writing the book. It was just not a great home life. Susanna is famous. She is the stuff of legend for her organizational skills for her house. Every day, she spent one hour with every child. Not, not one hour with every child, but Monday was 
child one day. Tuesday was child two day. And, and she spent that day, one hour a day, with, uh, with every child as she rotated them through a list. I'm not saying that exactly right, but you, you get what I'm saying. And so she, she homeschooled them. They ran the farm. They all had chores. They got up. It was just an amazing, amazing, amazing woman. And Susanna Wesley spent two hours a day in reading her Bible and praying for her family. They lived in a tiny, tiny house. A tiny house with 10 children. A big house with 10 children is small. A big house with one child is hard to get away, right? You know what I'm saying? It's like hard to get away. She's a tiny house, 10 kids. But every day she spent two hours in the word and prayer for her family. And John and Charles Wesley, who is maybe the greatest songwriter and greatest preacher, one of the greatest we've ever known, started the Methodist Church together said that their mother every day would take her apron, ladies, and she'd pull it over her head. And when mom had her apron over her head, that was her time with the Lord. Two hours every day, they would hear her out loud reading her Bible and praying for her family in a homemade apron tent. And I'm just going to tell you, Susanna Wesley run the farm, being a teacher, raising 10 kids, basically all by herself, can pray for her family. So can we. Would you stand with me together across the room? Our staff is coming. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your Savior, it's as simple as ABC. A, you've got to admit that you're a sinner. You can't save yourself. You're not good enough to go to heaven. You can't earn it. B, you've got to believe Christ died on the cross for your sins and rose again on the third day. And C, you've got to confess him as Lord and Savior of your life. The Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And can I tell you, there's no greater gift you can give your family than them knowing for sure when you die, Christ is in your life and heaven is your home. So would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes? We hope that you've enjoyed the message this week, helping you to apply God's word to your daily life. For more information about Peavine, be sure to check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and at our website, www.peavine.org. Thanks for listening.